Okay, let me uh, go ahead and start by reading our passage for today. Uh, this is from 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and open and turn to there and read along with us. Um, this is 1 Kings chapter 17, and I'm just going to read till verse uh, 16. Okay? Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink, well, my Bible's falling apart. You shall drink from the brook, brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Uh, this is God's word. Um, let's pray. Um, dear Lord, uh, as we go through a time of famine and difficulty, um, I pray, Lord, that you would be uh, miraculously providing for us and that would grow our faith and trust in you. I pray, Lord, that we would have many, many amazing stories of how you've provided for us um, in the midst of a pandemic, and I know we do, um, but I pray, Lord, that uh, you would really use the suffering and difficulty uh, for your purposes and that we would trust you so much as a result of the, um, the difficulty we're going through, Lord. Um, we thank you so much for the ways that you provide for us, and we especially thank you for Jesus, who is um, our um, ultimate refuge and provision and everything. We love you so much and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, so we're going through the book of 1 Kings, and we've gone through uh, a long, kind of difficult series of kings. So we've gone through a lot of kind of bleak passages, 
And this one is uh, also very difficult. And I didn't, I, I'm actually not going to focus on verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Um, but that passage is also like kind of heartrending and bleak where a mother loses her son. Uh, but I want to focus especially on the first uh, 16 or so verses. Um, so in the, the book of First Kings, uh, we have seen a, a lot of different things. We've seen how King David uh, passed on the kingdom to his King Solomon. There was lots of unrest and difficulty in the transitions of power, but ultimately God blessed Solomon and gave him wisdom. Uh, but then over time, as Solomon reigned and his wisdom and wealth of, uh, was known throughout all the world, uh, he, his heart turned away from God near the end of his life, and he began to worship idols. And as a result of that, all of Israel fell into idol worship. And so we've seen this period where the kings of Israel, the ones who are in charge of leading their people uh, and, in a sense, setting an example for them in the worship of God, the God of Israel, uh, they've all turned away to idols. And it's just a slow, steady, downward spiral where Israel made a covenant with God. Um, God made a covenant with Israel, but they've turned away. They've gone to other gods and idols. And it, we see in the very first verse, as a result of what they've done, uh, there has come a famine on the land. Okay? So now, the first thing I want us to think about is I want, I want us to spend some time thinking through the impact of a famine. And in, in particular, there is a drought where Elijah says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall ne be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So first thing we're going to do, we're just going to look at the implications of no rain for three years. And I'm just going to spend some time unpacking what that means. We live in a technological society and there's this whole crazy like shipping supply chain where we can get like I, I sometimes I just think about this, like me and my wife went on a date to Red Lobster on Friday, <laughs> the Red Lobster on Alameda Expressway. And I was just like, how crazy is it? I like I got this shrimp platter and it was like shrimp three different ways. And I'm just like, dude, how crazy is it that I can just eat this food whenever I want? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how incredibly abundant our food is and how amazing it is that we can get seafood, we can get land food, we can get stuff from all over the world just delivered to our doorstep, and we have constant access to it. That is so mind-boggling to me. So in this land of kind of like abundance, on one hand, I think with the pandemic, we can understand what it might be like to live in a, a time of famine and drought, and we live in California, so we kind of understand what it means to live in a drought. But let's try to understand what it was like for these people a little bit. Um, and then the other thing I want you to note is when God sends this judgment upon the people of Israel, uh, the physical manifestation of drought kind of demonstrates the spiritual poverty and lack of Israel. Okay, so I'll say that again. The drought is basically a sign of the spiritual poverty of Israel. And so God is revealing to them when, 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 uh, when he doesn't send rain, he is showing them how far they've come from worshiping God and their idolatry has basically led to it. So it's actually interesting. If you look at Deuteronomy 11, 
This was actually one of the promises that God made where he says in the law, if you turn away from worshiping the one true God to, to other gods, then I will send drought and I will send famine. And it's a way that God kind of gets Israel's attention. And so it represents uh, their spiritual deficit and they will experience that through physical deficit. But let's think about for a second what impact this would have. And you see this, you see this all throughout the passage, um, but can you imagine for a second um, the impacts that drought would have on a, a society and culture that doesn't have the, the type of global economy that we do? Um, if you're in the Middle East, uh, rain and water is already scarce, and your society is entirely dependent on the rainfall each season in order for crops to grow, in order for you to have food. And so to have a drought for one year basically would mean this is a time of famine. It's a time of drought. We're going to have a really lean year. Things are going to be really, really tough and people will probably starve and die. And so this would have affected every single person in the region and probably only the very richest people would have been able to like, you know, uh, ski through the, the drought with little effect to their personal well-being. But let's keep on thinking about this. This is not just a one-year drought, okay? And so people, they probably would have experienced droughts, and so they would have stored up stuff. You know, you store up toilet paper, you store whatever it is. You, 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 but you have like a one-year supply, right? Um, this would have been three years without any rain. And so you can just think of the ripple effect it has. Like animals die. Your livestock, you can't, like if you ever, have you ever, um, have you ever thought about like how much water like a horse requires or how much water like a cow requires? These are, these, are, these are kind of questions we don't think about much. But if you actually think about it, a cow is like an enormous animal. And in order to raise a cow, it needs to drink tons and tons of water. And if you don't have that water, your livestock dies. You don't have milk. You don't have chickens, you don't have eggs. And there's a ripple effect where all of the livestock and food that you depended on is gone. And definitely your crops are not gonna survive because there's no rain. And you are entirely dependent on that rain for your crops to grow. Now, um, I want you to think for a second what impact this would have on the attitude and mentality of a person living during this period. And to some degree, we should be able to very easily relate to this, okay? Um, in a way that we could never before. So we've been having like supply chain issues where people, and it's like so terrible, like there have been so many people who have been deprived for months and months and months of their PS5 because they haven't had enough parts, right? They haven't had enough game councils. And this has been tremendous, horrible suffering that people have had to go through. I'm joking, but like, so we, we kind of understand a little bit more what it's like to experience lack and deficit but I think the biggest way we've experienced this, you know, obviously there's tons of like financial ramifications of the pandemic, but I think one of the biggest ways we've experienced this is more on an emotional level. Um, it's more on the kind of human social level where we've been isolated from each other. We've been anxious. We've been fearful about the future. We kind of live in constant uh, anxiety about the next new variant, um, whatever it might be. And so this actually is a great connection point to this passage where when we go through life, um, we experience times of drought and famine, and it might not be literal drought or famine, 
But there are these times that the people living through this passage experience where you are, you're at a loss, you feel hopeless, you feel insecure. And by insecure, I mean, you just don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know what news is going to drop. It's going to hit you over the head. Everything, everything that you were kind of relying on has fallen apart. And so I think about kids um, in school. You know, you, you hear all these stories like, I'm, an, I'm a varsity athlete in, in high school. And it's my, it's my senior year or it's my junior year. And I'm so dependent. I'm putting my eggs in the college sports basket because my family can't pay for like a, my family can't pay for college. And so my, my performance in whatever sport it is, my junior year is extremely important for my ability to go to college. And then the pandemic hit and there's no sports. So everything that you were depending on has been taken away from you and you're left reeling, you're confused, you're powerless, you're hopeless. And you're, you're like, what am I going to do with my life? For other people, people have experienced tremendous like financial difficulties, the stock market, um, kind of job security, all these different things. This is a time of drought. It's a time of famine. It can be so hard um, because everything in the world feels so much more destabilized than it was in the past. So this has like relate. This causes relational stresses where your financial difficulties lead you to stressing out and then you like have conflict within your family. Uh, you are just stressed out, it has a physical effect on your body. Um, but not only that, it has a spiritual effect too where um, it, it can feel so hard to find God during this time of famine. Uh, you feel spiritually dry, you feel like God's not there and especially you become fearful and anxious about the future. And what's really cool is I mean, uh, I mean, I get honestly, sometimes I get bored talking about the pandemic because um, it's like it's low hanging fruit. But at the same time, I think we have to because we, we can't really underestimate the impact it's actually had on our lives. We really can't. We're going to be like living with the kind of uh, scars from this for a long time, for a long time. And, uh, you know, like there's one study I read where during times of recession, uh, you would think, so people entering the job market during times of recession uh, can make anywhere between five to 20% less than a person who enters the job market during a time of plenty. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting because you, when you think about it, you're like, oh, it's just a recession. Once it's over, it won't have a lasting impact on someone's personal finances. But what you learn is actually it impacts them for at least 10 years. So like a college class that entered the job market in 2008, when you look at them, it takes 10 years for them to catch up with other people when it comes to the amount of money they make. And I feel like that's just one small error, like that's one small representative point of all the ways the pandemic is going to impact us. Um, and the other thing I want to say is one huge way the pandemic has impacted us has to do with fear and anxiety. And so this sermon in many ways is for you if you experience a lot of fear and anxiety about the future. Um, before we generally experience stability, or that's the way it felt for me, where it's like, oh, you're pretty sure that things are going to go pretty well and like things are pretty regular. I'm kind of young, so I haven't experienced a lot of like political social upheaval. Um, but if you're a person who's like not sure about what college you're going to get into, 
what job you're going to have, all these different things, what, what it's going to mean for your family or your life. Um, I think this sermon is really for us and uh, for all of us. Um, and what I want to look at is I want to see how this passage helps tell a story, in a sense, of how God actually works in the midst of times of famine and drought. And I'm not saying this from a simple, like, positive psychology uh, let's just have a positive attitude about it. You know, everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. I'm not saying it from that perspective. Hopefully what I can show you is God gives very specific, precise encouragement to persevere in these times. And he works through specific ways that I hope we can unpack. So I hope the sermon is not as simple as just to say, oh, you know, I'm really worried about the future. I'm worried about my job. And I, I just say, you know what? God loves you. It'll be okay. I hope it's actually a little bit more specific than that. And then I hope that you will be able to t reassure your heart with these truths in a way that... So basically, I hope this story can help you see maybe some of the purposes God might have in allowing you to go through these suffering and also some kind of reassurance of how he will provide for you through this time of drought or famine or anxiety. Um, so let's go ahead and get into the text real quick. Um, I have three points, and I mean, the points are kind of, take, take them or leave them, but uh, what we're going to see through this sermon and this passage is that God uses times of fear and famine to grow our faith, okay? Now, when you hear the word faith, um, what's up, Josh? When you hear the, when you hear the word faith, uh, it probably feels like religious jargon, and you're not really sure what exactly it means. Like sometimes we think that faith is believing something super duper hard even when you have no reason to. Do you know what I mean? Like my faith is not strong enough. That means I know I'm supposed to believe really hard that God will answer this prayer, but I can't. And uh, that's not exactly what faith is. I would say that a definition of faith is Faith is the ability to walk obediently based on trusting in God's person. Okay, I mean, I don't know. I'm just like kind of making up a definition. What it means is personal trust that allows you to act rather than um, a sense of like feeling good about something. Okay, so like the, an example that people, so let's use the trust fall as an example, right? Faith is like a trust fall. And what happens in a trust fall is you're, you like lean backwards and hopefully there are a bunch of people behind you who are going to catch you. You just let yourself go and you fall backwards. What is going on in your mind when you do a trust fall? What, it, it is faith in the people to catch you. And so what I want you to see here is God uses times of fear and famine to grow our trust in him to catch us no matter what circumstance we're going through. Okay, and when I talk to older Christians, um, I realize and I am humbled by how deep other people's faith is. What, what I mean is they can go through so many different circumstances and hold on to their trust in God because they know who he is. They've had a long life of experience with him where he's never let them down. And over and over again, they've seen his provision for them in times of fear and famine. Another thing I want you to see, though, based on this passage, 
And again, I'm trying to like eliminate misunderstandings and combat false views of God by giving this little intro thing. Another thing I want you to see is like Elijah, the widow, they go through the drought and they're not excluded from the suffering and difficulty and even uncertainty of it. And so as Christians, you should never expect that God will exclude you from suffering and difficulty. When everyone in the region is going through drought and famine, Elijah goes through the drought and famine too. And when we're all going through a pandemic, it's not like God says to the Christians, you won't get COVID because you're Christian, but everyone else will. Now, that sounds kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, I feel like that's often the mentality we have when it comes to suffering and pain in our life, where we say, especially when we become disappointed with God, in that moment, we're like, but wait a second, God, if you really loved me, you would just not make me go through this kind of job difficulty, right? But again, no, God never promises he will exclude us from suffering. He will exempt us from suffering, but he promises he'll get us through it. So God uses times of fear and famine to grow our faith by three things. Number one, dispelling our illusion of control, to dispel our illusion of control. Number two, deepening our dependence on him. And finally, displaying his miraculous provision. So these are three things we see in the passage. Um, but I don't know, like this is also, I mean, those are like propositions and those are truths, but I hope we can go through the story and I hope we can kind of uh, empathize and identify with the characters more and more and see who they are in a way that can help us um, transpose those onto our own experiences. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse uh, 8, 9, 10, etc. Okay, so the first thing that happens in our passage is God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath. So Elijah is a fugitive. Has anyone seen the Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive? <laughs> Old movie. I'm, I'm, I love making dated pop culture references. It's great. Like when you get older, you get to do that. It's, it's so cool. Um, and all the young kids are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, ha I gotcha. Um, so Elijah was a fugitive where he went to the king of Israel and he said, because of your idolatry and unbelief, God is going to send a drought for three years. There's going to be no rain for three years. When you go to someone who's powerful like that and confront them to their face, it generally does not go well for you. So what happens is God tells them, you have to depart and you have to go to this region in the northeast area of Israel and stay by a brook. And the word brook is the word for like, it's not a permanent stream. It's a brook that only exists when there's rainfall. Okay. So it's like a small little brook or stream that is very temporary and not lasting in the middle of a desert. So if Jerry, you could show the, the map real quick. Um, I don't know how well you guys can see this. You probably can't, but it actually shows you on this map. If you see the kind of, the kind of middle area, do you see the middle area below the dotted red line? There's one part there where it says Elijah is fed by ravens during the drought in Cherith. And so Elijah is in kind of like the northeastern part of Israel. And so he's still in the territory of Israel. But then God sends him to a different area, Zarephath. And this is where our kind of geography is actually really important to understand what's going on here. Zarephath is not in Israel. 
Zarephath is in Phoenicia, and you can kind of see it on the map, right? Now, very specifically, this was a region where the center, this, this region was the center of Baal worship in this area. And so you actually see that Jezebel comes from this region, um, and we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk plenty about her later. Um, but this is basically Elijah going into enemy territory, where everyone there would have been worshipers of Baal, and so they would have, in a sense, like, uh, he would have worshipped the God of Israel, they would have worshipped the, like, Baal, and it's enemy territory, there are no Israelites here. And so he goes to the city, and he comes up across a widow gathering sticks. And so it says here, he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So again, everyone is in a famine and he goes up to a stranger and, uh, and says, can I have some water? And you know, sure, that's reasonable. He's tired, he's had a long journey, he's hot, he's dehydrated. Um, she'll find some water for him. But then he says, can I have some bread? And this feels like a really audacious request for a stranger, um, but I just want you to know that hospitality was an extremely important virtue. And so while it, it feels kind of audacious for us to ask a random stranger for food, it wouldn't have been that crazy other than the fact that they were in a famine and a drought. And so Elijah asks her and says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And the, the way she responds actually reveals so much about her state in this drought. And I think, it, I think our heart can really like empathize with her and her difficulty. And I hope this is, can kind of both draw us into the story and then also think about ourselves. In what ways am I feeling like this in the midst of the pandemic? So what does she say? As the Lord, your God lives. So I'm going to stop there. She says, the Lord, your God, which means she knows that he's an Israelite. She knows that he believes in Yahweh because Lord is actually like a, tra a translation of like Yahweh. Um, As the Lord, your God lives, not my God, your God lives. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. So she has exhausted every single bit of her supply of food except for a tiny little bit of flour and a tiny little bit of oil. So she could make like a few small cakes out of this, right? And then she says, and now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. The famine, the drought has caused such a desperate situation that this widow is just grabbing. So again, like they don't have gas burners or electric burners. So she has a tiny little bit of food left, the ingredients to make some bread. She has to go get sticks outside to start a fire, to bake some bread. And then she's gonna give that to her and her son. And then she has basically lost all hope that she can find anything else to eat. And so she basically says, we're gonna die. The other thing I want you to notice, um, she's a widow. And during this time, uh, widows would have been some of the most vulnerable people in the society where uh, they were extremely dependent on, their, on the men to provide for them because you know, women weren't allowed to you know, have many jobs and there wasn't a lot of uh, opportunities for women. And so she had already experienced some kind of tragedy in her life 
where her husband was gone, her husband had died, and she has a son to provide for. The other thing I want you to know is we, these are all clues we pick up from this passage. The fact that the son is not working to provide for them kind of tells you the age of the child. He's not yet old enough to do things that can help provide food for the family. So you get this picture. This was probably a young woman in her 20s, in her 30s maybe, and her husband had died young. And as a result of that, this young child who she's taking care of, um, she has to provide for him. And because of this famine and drought, she can't. Can you imagine how hopeless and despairing that would feel? You know, like me and Ashley are going to have a kid. And I like, I, it's like, I, I, <laughs> I never until Ashley was pregnant, I, I started having every once in a while, I seriously have these like ca cat catastrophic like thoughts of, you know, what if something bad happens to my kid? And I've never had those before because I've never had a kid before. Like I got a puppy and then sometimes I had a, that about a puppy, but not, not as often. But now I have a kid, I have a kid on the way and I, I, I worry about that, you know? And so I feel like that's just a tiny way that I could like identify with the feelings and de like desperation of this widow, this woman. She has nothing left. And doesn't that make it like almost seem way worse what Elijah is asking her? It's like, dude, she's like, I'm a widow. Like, you're, you're at least a man. You could, like, do something to make some food, maybe. But I can't. And you're asking me for that food? Um, and then she's also despairing where she doesn't know what's going to... So, okay. Now, like, all of that being said, this is a time of famine. This is a time of drought. This woman was experiencing hopelessness, despair. She, she would have gone through a long period where she would have been extraordinarily anxious to figure out how she could provide for her son and nothing has worked. So she is at the end of her rope. She has nothing left. There's nothing she can do. There's nothing she can do. And yet Elijah comes to her and asks for bread. But what I want you to notice is the way that Elijah asks her is actually a word from God. And in his response to her, in the way we ask, he asks, we can see the way that God is so gentle and compassionate um, in bringing assurance and provision to her. Okay, so let's look in the text to see how, he, how that happens. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Did you guys catch that? When God is providing for us and when God asks us to do things for him, the very first thing he says is don't be afraid. And Elijah knows, in a sense, the difficulty of what he's asking. But the first thing he says is, do not be afraid. Do not fear. And this comes up all throughout the, like, a lot of people say that these are probably the most common, this little phrase, do not be afraid, do not fear. It's super duper common throughout the Bible. He says, do not fear, go and do as you have said. So he's saying, go ahead, gather the sticks and bake some bread. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And then afterward, make something for yourself and your son. So again, this is like his audacious request. It seems kind of tactless and rude and, you know, off offensive kind of. But then look at his reasoning behind saying, go and do as you have said, but give me something. Next verse, verse 14. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So this is really, really incredible. 
Now, again, this is at the very beginning of three years of drought. And Elijah says, your little jar of oil and jar of flour will not run empty until God restores the rain and in a sense changes the entire circumstance and climate of the region so that she can again find food for her family. That is how comprehensive the provision of God is for this widow. And this is the reason why Elijah can say, give me some of the food. It's Elijah saying, don't be afraid because God will so comprehensively care for your needs that you will have food to eat until the famine is over, until the drought has ended. And he says, don't be afraid. Now, this actually makes a lot of sense, right? Um, he, he's not simply saying, don't worry, be happy, you know? And this is where I want to be really careful. Um, I know there are many people in our church who are going through extraordinarily difficult times right now. Uh, for whatever reason, you've experienced loss, you've experienced like lack, you, you've experienced like mental illness or like loneliness, isolation, all of these things. And so I do not want to say to you, just don't, don't worry about it, be happy, you know, stop being anxious. That's not what's going on here. Can you kind of see the gentleness of God and his heart for the widow where he went to her, like he sent Elijah to go to this widow. And so God had this widow in mind and said, I love this widow who is from Baal's headquarters. Um, like <laughs> there's a commentator who said she lives in Baal's land in Gentilesville or something like that, where it's like she's in the most godless, godless place in the world and she is part of the enemy team, right? They would have thought about these people as being on the other side. And yet God cares so much for this widow, this person who is helpless and powerless within her society. And then actually there's another interesting detail that you might not notice. Later on, it talks about how her son lives on the second floor. And so you actually get more of a picture of what her life was like. To live on this, to have a room on the second floor was kind of a big deal where it actually means she probably was at one point wealthy or wealthier. And so not only has she experienced the tragedy of her husband dying, but potentially her husband dying has moved them from a place of affluence to a place of poverty. And in a sense, that's almost like way worse than just, you know, you don't know anything other than um, being poor, but she actually knew what it was like to be rich. And so you kind of gain this picture of her. Um, now, so like the first, the first point I said, when you go through times of drought, it dispels your illusion of control. Uh, can you see how when things are going well, we often think that we are so in control of our lives and most people in the world tell you like, you know, make the most out of yourself and try your hardest and you can achieve your dreams and do whatever you want. But what they're not reckoning with is the fact that there are extraordinary amount of things outside our control and the pandemic is a great example of that where you just can't control it. You can control what you can control, but there are plenty of things you can't. And God wants to dispel our illusion of control. Um, remember the job uh, thing I talked about, the study, people who get jobs during the recession make five to 20% less than people who get jobs during times of plenty. Um, if you're one of those people who's lucky and enters the job market during good time and you're like, I'm making a great salary and this is all because I worked really hard. Have you, do, is that really the truth or are you just lucky? Was just the timing of when you graduated college just lucky to some degree? 
And that dispels our illusion of control. You, when, when stuff hits that you never expected, it dispels your illusion of control. And that's a way that God uses times of suffering and pain where we are humbled and we recognize the truth about our limited capacity as humans and we recognize the next thing, our utter dependence on God. Where God, uh, I mean, really, th th like, they have nothing they can do. Elijah has nothing he can do. The reason I'm talking a lot about provision and dependence is because the very first passage that we didn't talk too much about, where Elijah is fed by the brook by the ravens, is kind of like a really extreme, almost like unbelievable example of God's provision, and especially Elijah's dependence on God. Where uh, he goes to this brook, and ravens bring him bread and meat twice a day. Now, this seems really weird to us, but for the people reading this, this book um, originally, they would have seen how this was a recapitulation, sorry, I couldn't think of another word, a recapitulation of when God was providing manna for Israel in the wilderness. And so God was not only providing for Elijah manna, which would have been like some sort of like a cake or a bread or whatever, once a day, but he was giving him bread and meat twice a day, which would have been like a feast. And so again, this is another picture of the type of provision that God gives, where he gives an abundance. He gives an abundance to Elijah and provides for him. And this actually is training Elijah to give this message to this widow, where the only reason that he could say to her, depend on God, trust for him to provide, was because he already experienced it himself. And so God actually demonstrates to Elijah how he provides for him during this time, and then he sends him to do the same for the widow. Um, so let's keep on going to chapter 17, 15 through 16. Uh, she went and did as Elijah said. Now, this is a picture of faith, right? Where rather than say, are you trying to scam me out of my last piece of bread? Um, she says, you know what? I'm going to go and give Elijah the first part of my food out of my trust in the word of the God of Israel. And that's a picture of faith where it's like she is risking, she is stepping out onto this limb based only on the word of God that has come through Elijah. She went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So now, can you see God's miraculous provision? All of this is, I mean, all of this is setting up, right? Like all of this is kind of giving us this narrative or this story, this true story of the ways that God provides in the midst of drought and famine. And so now I want to kind of turn this on ourselves and I want you to think for yourself. Um, do you understand who God is? Do you understand how even in the midst of this famine, he was able to provide miraculously for Elijah and the widow? Um, do you understand? And then do you rely on that? Do you really depend on that? Uh, when I think about my life, when I think about us in general, I think often we are extraordinarily anxious because what we're really depending on is not God's provision. What we're really depending on is our education. What we're really depending on is our bank account. 
What we're really depending on is our parents or whatever it might be, right? And so when those things get threatened, when my, when my investment portfolio goes down by 20%, uh, whatever, like I, I just lost 20% of my Bitcoin, whatever, whatever you got, 50%. When it goes down, your security is threatened and you start trembling in your boots. You are afraid because the thing that you put so much of your security on is unsteady and unstable. And what this passage is showing us is uh can you identify where you're putting your, your hope and security and what you're using as your refuge? And the pandemic kind of dispels it. The pandemic says, uh, if you're really anxious and worried about things, it's probably because you're not experiencing this rest in God's provision for you. And so um, the other thing I want you to notice is in both the example of the ravens and the example of the jar of the jug of oil, there is a little drama that would have happened for them every single day. So every single day, Elijah would have woken up in the morning at the brook and be like, God, are you gonna give me breakfast today? And then the ravens would have come, but he probably would have been like, I wonder if God's gonna do it again today. And then at some point, God stopped doing it because the brook ran dry. The same thing happened with the widow, where God doesn't say, here's a huge pile of pizza and you have enough pizza to last you for three years. No, the way he actually does it is he gives them daily provision, but only enough for one day. And so every morning she would have had to go to the jar of oil and the jar of flour and poured it out and been like, I wonder if God's gonna provide again today. And every single time God did. Can you imagine what impact that would have on your faith and your trust in God? Every single day, you are entirely helpless and dependent on him. And every single day, he provides for you what you need. This is what it means to have faith in God and to live as a Christian. Where when Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't give us enough bread for today and tomorrow. And the reason for that is so it trains us to go to him every single day. Um, he only provides enough for us uh, to last the day. Now, what does this mean for us in reality? Um, it means something really simple, but really profound, uh, which is every single morning, when you feel empty, when you're experiencing the impact of living during a time of drought and famine, do you know where the jar of oil is? Do you know where the jar of flour is? Do you go to it? And do you trust that God will provide? And it's so simple. It's, it's just waking up in the morning and say, God, I don't know how I can get through another day at work. Can you give me what I need to get through it? Give me this day what I need to get through this day. But you don't ask, give me today what I need to get through today and tomorrow and the next day. That's, that's anxiety inducing. And God doesn't work like that. He gives us enough to get through today because that's the only day we can live. And then tomorrow he will give us enough to live through tomorrow. Um, so now I just, I want to like, okay, we're running low on time. So I, I want to I give you a thought-provoking quote. And I want, I, you will probably be a little bit put off or peeved by this quote, but I think that's kind of the purpose. Um, 
there's a book uh, by uh, there's a book by Dallas Willard, um, a Christian author who I love, uh, called The Divine Conspiracy, and this is quoted from that book. A guy named Sky Jatani quoted him. He says this: When we embrace the reality of God's love and care for us, we see that this present world is a perfectly safe place for us to be. So what just happened in your head as I read that quote? You thought about all the ways that this world is not safe. And you thought about all the ways that you've experienced danger and loss and how it's not safe. And like, you know, God, like, you know, God says, like, consider the birds of the air, how God provides for them. But then I say, yeah, what about that dead crow I saw on the side of the road? Did God care for that? So you immediately start arguing with this reality of God's love by saying this, this present world is not safe. There are all of these dangers all around us. And on one hand, that's completely true because we live in a broken world. But what this is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 6 or John chapter 11, where Jesus says, um, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats me will no longer hunger. Whoever drinks from me will no longer thirst. Or in uh, John chapter 11, when Lazarus dies, Jesus says to his sister, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will not die. And so when you really think about this, this is an absolutely transformative truth. Um, and yet we have a hard time believing it. That when, if God is our father, if God provides for us the way that this passage says that he provided for this widow and for Elijah, if God is a good father and he loves us, then no matter what happens in this world, we will never be outside of God's care and love and provision. That's the promise that scripture has all over, all over the Bible. Now, how does this work in reality? Um, in reality, it means looking at Jesus and saying, uh, when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, um, man, it, it, the world is so... The world is so difficult, and the world in many senses is very dangerous, um, but we cannot uh, underestimate how loving God is as a father and how much he cares for us. And when we look at Elijah, when we look at Jesus, um, to live in this world, a dangerous world, does not mean we're exempt, but it means that God will get us through. And so when you look at the person of Jesus, God faithfully loved and cared for Jesus. And what was his life like? He went through suffering and rejection, and yet he could have joy and he could have love for all the people he encountered. He went through humiliation and death on a cross, and yet he could say, um, forgive them for they know not what they do when people were crucifying and killing him. And you know, in 1 Peter it says that, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory, which means as Christians, as we go through suffering and difficulty and experience God's provision, we not only survive, we not only persevere, though those are all things that we do, but we can actually experience joy in this time of drought and famine where we see God's provision for us 
And we look at all the small ways that God is doing that and getting us through. And if you've ever gone through a really hard season of life, you know you got to take it one day at a time and wake up every morning and say, God, I cannot get through without you. And that's what you do. And then you pray, and life is not easy. It's still hard, but you get through moment by moment, minute by minute, and then the day is over, and you can say, thank you, God, for getting me through another day. And then you repeat it the next day. And so I just, I just want to share that with you from this passage. Um, what are some practical ways we can apply this? Um, the first thing I just want you to say, see is um, recognize the season that you're in and set your expectations correctly by doing that. Okay? So we're in a pandemic, which means that everything is hard and everything is difficult. And we are so desperately dependent on God during this time to get through. Do you recognize that that's the season you're in? If that's true, if that's the season you're in, are you responding as though that's the case? What I mean by that is, are you recognizing your dependence on God and seeking to access his provision? So again, the story of the jar. Every morning, go to the jar, pour out that oil, pour out that flour, and say, God, can you give me my daily bread? Um, what I found for myself is many times during the pandemic, I don't do that. Like I'm a pastor, but I still don't do it. Um, I go to anything but God, but Jesus for my daily bread to get through this stressful time. And the end result is I'm empty. <laughs> I'm empty because I'm not going to where bread can be found. And then, so just return to the oil jar daily. God will provide for you. And God has been providing for us in so many different ways. Um, there are a lot of, I, I'm sure you might have a lot of different questions about this. Uh, but I just want you to point you to God's provision and his faithfulness to you, even in times of famine and even times of drought. And he ultimately provided for us by sending Jesus Christ. Um, and so turn to Jesus Christ daily um, to get through. And that's how we can persevere during this time and have joy even. Uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I, I pray, Lord, that you would be bringing your comfort and reassurance to us uh, today. I pray, Lord, that in our moments of anxiety and fear, where we are so destabilized by all the different things going on in the world, we would be able to trust you and you would reassure us and provide for us in ways that our faith would grow. Um, I pray, Lord, that um, we would come out of uh, this time of suffering and difficulty just being even more uh, trusting and dependent and reliant on you and that we would experience so much joy in seeing you, how you provide for us in so many amazing ways. I thank you for the ways that you've been providing for me uh, daily this week, um, for your reminder of your love, your provision, your care, and I pray we would each experience amazing moments like that this week. We love you so much and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.